is Masa. And thank you for joining me today. I'm gonna, I'm excited to share my, some like a research project working with Dr. Jalal and also Dr. Sarzin and then many thanks to Jason, Ben, Minakshi, and then Dr. Jirotra. It's not easy for me to say his name, but so no disclosure. So today I will go over updated prevalence of hypertension by the new VA DOD guideline definition among the US veterans. Then look at the risk factors for poor blood pressure control among hypertensive veterans. Then try to see, try to tease out any beneficial effect of intensive blood pressure control based on the new DOD guideline or ACCHA joint guideline for the hypertension management. So first of all, this is a, like a screenshot from a Median Hearts, which is supported by NIH, CDC. So their national initiative to prevent one million heart attack and also strokes next five years. So by 2022, they started, they launched this project. And this is almost like an ten-year project. And their primary measures use of aspirin when appropriate and blood pressure, cholesterol control, and smoking cessation. Those are primary measures. And secondary measures, usually you know, secondary prevention, so cardiac rehab, and then obesity management. And look at the University of Iowa Kidney Cardiovascular Disease Group, so Kidney CBD Group, led by Dr. Jal. So she always told me that like, we try to improve cardiovascular outcome among CKD patients. So that's our goal, like, you know, my mentor's goal. Then look at the blood pressure control. So 2020 VA Defense of the Oh, yeah, Department of Defense published new updated guideline. So they changed, they lowered definition of hypertension down to 130 in systolic. And also they suggested target systolic blood pressure less than 130 for like all comers. And elderly defined by age greater than 60, they said that they recommend less than 130 but uh, we need to adjust, we need to judge case by case, and then definitely like less than 150, that's what they recommended. And target diastolic blood pressure here, less than 90. So this is slightly different from uh, ACCHA joint guideline published 2017. So target diastolic blood pressure less than 80, in those guidelines, more strict criteria based on the SPRINT trial, which everybody knows in the Division of Nephrology. And American College of Physician, they do not mention, they do not change any definition of hypertension, but a European Society of uh, Cardiology and Hypertension, they publish their guideline 2018. So they still use 140 and 90. However, 
their target of systolic evaporation was less than 130, well, even like, you know, between 120 and 130, because they do not know any benefit lowering greater than uh, below 120 or so in the systolic blood pressure. And the elderly patient, they recommend like between 130 and 140, which is still not, which is conflicting ACCA, HA, or BA Department of Defense guidelines. So when I, when I had a chance to review those, and then my question was already published in a guideline, and then they propose. So should we adopt the recommendation by VA, DOD, and ACCHA joint guidelines? And University of Iowa Kidney Cardiovascular Disease Group, we'd actually laid the foundation for the future trials and the implementation science. And hopefully, you know, that's leading to funding, future funding and grants, and then including myself to like, uh, I would like to get some funding based on those like uh, uh, research work. So that's an overarching goal to share here. And one step back, so we look at the definition of hypertension and then there is a slightly difference between VADOD and ACCHA. Mainly VA patients are getting older and more uh, frail and also multiple comorbid conditions. So DOD did not recommend a strict diastolic blood pressure control at the time of uh, publication or updated guideline published in 2020. So when we look at the NHANES data, that's from United States, longitudinal cross-sectional data. So they reported uh, rate of uh, hypertension went up to 45% from a 30% based on the new ACCHA guideline change. And as pre-trial study data, post hoc analysis, so they actually kind of prevalent hypertension was 74% in the elderly population, which went up to 86% based on the new guideline. And there are several data from international countries and China, Nepal, India, and Korean, uh, Korea, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. So strikingly, like uh, most of uh, prevalence like a number of preference went up. And then of course we are using a stricter, more strict guide, uh, blood pressure cutoff. So that's why we are picking up more patient with the hypertension diagnosis and also treatment recommendation. So usually about like a 10 to 20% of prevalence change we are observing here. However, those are coming from ACCH guidelines so which is slightly different from a BADOD. And all the studies use blood pressure values measured on a single date because of the, their uh, study design, cross-sectional study design or post-hoc analysis of randomized control trials. And diastolic blood pressure cutoff was set 80 millimeter mercury instead of a 90, which is recommended in the BA updated guidelines. And 
VA hypertension data published in 2012 by Dr. Fletcher, but uh, since then, no national data regarding uh, VA hypertension or hypertensive veterans. So we thought this is interesting to report, like examine any change in terms of the prevalence of hypertension among US veterans based on prior guideline cutoff 140 over 90 versus newer, newer recommended cutoff 130 over 90 millimeter mercury. So all the data supporting a 69% of the patient having hypertension among US veterans based on the BP blood pressure cutoff 140 over 90. So our research question, like number one, what is the impact of the new VA DOD guideline on the BP control, blood pressure control among the US veterans? So we look at the older blood pressure cutoff, 140 over 90 millimeter mercury, and we defined normal tensive patient and prevalent hypertension. And definition of prevalent hypertension, I will go over in a, a few slides, but uh, based on the ICD codes and also blood pressure medication, such as diuretics and calcium channel blockers. Then we look at the new blood pressure cutoff based on 130 over 90, which is recommended in the new VA DOD guideline. So we define the normal tensive below 130 over 90 millimeter mercury instead of 140 in systolic. And some of the patients move to the prevalent hypertension because those people unrecognize hypertension by using a newer guideline. And we also look at the average systolic blood pressure and VADOD guideline and ACCHA guideline recommend 130 cutoff. So we use 130 or less for the good control and then 130 or higher or equals, we classified as a poor blood pressure control. So data source, we use data from uh, US VHA data set and study population be included. Masa, can I ask a question? Yes. On the previous slide, you don't define blood pressure control on the basis of diastolic blood pressure. Why is that? Oh, so the VA DOD guideline, they do not set any target for the diastolic blood pressure. So that's why we picked up like, you know, systolic blood pressure only in this research question. Got it, okay, thanks. So we include uh, at least like a two blood pressure measurement as office visit. So outpatient office blood pressure, not inpatient blood pressure measurement, not emergency room visit. And we excluded a patient with the following conditions based on ICD-10 defined by ARC, Rickshauser comorbid score. So demented patient, metastatic cancer, severe liver disease, 
end-stage kidney disease and hospice status. Because I do not, so when I, when I take care of a patient in my clinic, probably I do not pay attention too much blood pressure control in those population. So we excluded those people. And also individuals taking a midodrine or midodrine type of medication to exclude people also cystic hypotension or uh, supine hypotension. And cohort period, the running period was between January 1, 2016 and December 31, 2017. And the follow-up period, so when I put the, this IRB request, that was October, sometime like in October 2020. So we set the uh, follow-up period in the October 2020. This might be a slightly you know, different from uh, what JSON has in the data set. So because the VHA data set uh, always changing and updated daily basis. And next we look at the blood pressure measurement. So first of all, we look at the, those blood pressure values and we excluded the non-physiologic values and also erroneous entries. So such as systolic blood pressure less than 40 or greater than 300 and diastolic blood pressure less than 10. Those are coming from, those are arbitrary number but are coming from uh, previous studies, Dr. Fletcher and also Dr. Kobesti. So they did, they used those uh, cutoff. And systolic blood pressure was less than diastolic blood pressure. Obviously this is entry error. So we excluded those measurements. Then we step to the uh, next stage. So if one patient having a multiple measurement on a single date, so we use the lowest systolic and diastolic blood pressure as a representative blood pressure on that day. So during this process, we treated a systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure independently, which means systolic blood pressure and diastolic blood pressure lowest values coming from uh, sometimes same measurement or sometimes different measurement. So we try to minimize any effect from uh, like a high blood pressure in the clinic or high cold hypertension or outliers in the procedure room or other like office visit. So, and then we corrected those data and then we averaged during cohort running period, which was uh, two years and then between January 1, 2016 and then December 31, 2017. So this is almost like a you know, cohort longitudinal, but a snapshot type analysis we did next. And we defined hypertension by ICD-10 related to the hypertension codes and also oral antihypertensive drugs, mainly diuretics and then calcium channels. And in this process, we excluded a beta blockade because we were not sure sometimes the beta blockade indicated for the purely coronary artery disease or atrial fibrillation rate control and other medications such as alpha blockade, we excluded here because we did not treat them as a anti-hypertensive drug because we cannot tell 
patient taking this medication for the blood pressure or BPH or prostate issues. However, we did a sensitivity analysis to exclude uh, those beta blockade. And actually, uh, VA physicians prescribing uh, most of the time diuretics or calcium channel plus beta blockade, not like a beta blockade as a first choice. So we feel comfortable enough to exclude beta blockade here as a hypertensive drug. But we tested, yeah, we did a sensitivity analysis to double check. Then we look at the BP blood pressure measurement in the office and more than two episodes of systolic blood pressure 140 or diastolic blood pressure 90 based on the older guideline. And then we look at the systolic blood pressure greater than 130, which is newer guideline in the VA DOD updated hypertension management. So this is a busy slide, but I'll try to walk you through and all the hypertension guideline. So cutoff is 140, 90 cutoff. And ICD-10, so hypertension defined by ICD-10. So purely like a ICD-10 hypertension patient, not taking any medication in the VA system. So patient might get a medication from uh, his or her primary care doctor, non-VA system. So those patients included here, 9.3%. And the medication, getting a medication, but not diagnosed by ICD-10, that was about like, you know, 5% in the VA system. And then those patients taking a medication and then getting an ICD code diagnosis as well during cohort period. And some of the patient blood pressure is greater than 140 over 90 in clinic which is uncontrolled. So some of the patient 5.5, having a diagnosis of uh, the hypertension and not taking a medication and then blood pressure is high in the office. So those people might be getting a non-pharmacologic therapy and then working on the blood pressure reduction but not meeting a, a target blood pressure. Now, other patient taking a medication, but blood pressure is uncontrolled. So those patients, the number went down to 2.2% compared to 5.5 non-pharmacologic intervention. And then unrecognized hypertension, which is about like, you know, 7% based on the older criteria, which is a relaxed systolic blood pressure using a 140. Then look at the new strict hypertension guideline cutoff, which we use 130. And obviously this patient, like in a portion of uh, uh, blood pressure. So we are lowering the blood pressure cutoff and then blood pressure limit. So we are picking up a more hypertensive patient based on the blood pressure values. So about 10%, like you know, like 8.8% of new patient diagnosed based on those blood pressure value change. So result one, among the US veterans, number of prevalent hypertension based on 140 over 90 millimeter mercury cutoff, which is about 71 to like, you know, 
And we did an additional study, uh, additional analysis, and then we excluded some of the patient without any BMI or other measurement. So that's why those values might slightly kind of change. But overall, like, you know, about 70% having a hypertension based on all the criteria. And then this was correlating in line with previous report, 69% about 10 years ago by reported by Dr. Fletcher. So assuming people getting older and having a multiple comorbid conditions, so the prevalent, prevalence of hypertension increasing over the last decade in the VHA system. So that's my interpretation. And we use strict hypertension criteria cutoff 130 over 90 millimeter mercury. And that proportion went up to 80%, even reaching like you know, 84%. So delta change about like you know, 10%. So this is descriptive part of my research study. Then we had a question, what is the risk factors like a predicting uncontrolled hypertension among US veterans based on new VA DOD guideline? The rationale behind this, if there is any specific risk factors, or if we can identify those high-risk population who will fall into the hypertension without medication or without diagnosis, we thought we might be able to intervene those high-risk patients and try to like, you know, implement uh, like a management or a screening system to pick up those high-risk population. So that's why we look at those risk factors. So we picked up a prevalent hypertension people. So either ICD-10 calls or blood pressure values or taking any medications for the hypertension or blood pressure control. Then we look at the average systolic blood pressure. So this is recommended by VADOD guideline target. So for entire population, they recommend less than 130. And then case by case for the elderly folks, so age greater than 60 or sometimes 65 or older. So we use a cutoff 130 for everybody. And then we decide good control or poor blood pressure management. Then look at the exploring, uh, so look at the, any risk factors correlating with the predictors, prediction of a poor blood pressure control. So we use the same cohort, but excluding individuals with missing BMI, et cetera, and average systolic blood pressure obtained from office blood pressure, and then we just like uh, averaged. And covariates defined by Eriks-Hauser comorbid index and obtained during the entire cohort period, not a specific time frame and then constructed a logistic regression model to estimate relative risk of individual covariate predicting uncontrolled hypertension. And then predictors we use baseline demographic information such as age, gender, race, and clinical characteristics and comorbid conditions. And primary outcome interest. So we'd like to know what type of patient or what specific of patient characteristics who might get uncontrolled hypertension based on new guideline. 
So these are table on characteristics and busy slide, but I tried to walk you through together. And first of all, the VA system, like you know, six, 60 percent of veterans are older than age 60. So this struck me and because I I knew that like, you know the veterans are getting older and they're having uh, multiple comorbid conditions, but 60% uh, of the veterans fall into elderly group. So that's one striking point. And then second, if you are getting older, as expected, you are having uncontrolled blood pressure based on average systolic blood pressure cut off 130. And then this is happening in my clinic too. So if I'm taking care of a patient age 85 or like 92, and then blood pressure 146, sometimes if patient feels good, no dizzy or lightheadedness, no osteostasis, I just continue the same medication and then I do not push too hard to lower or control those patient blood pressure. So this is happening. So elderly folks having uncontrolled blood pressure more in the adjusted observation. Then of course, other risk factors, known ones are black race. So difficult to control blood pressure regardless age. So 18% of black patient having uncontrolled blood pressure compared to 16% having a controlled blood pressure compared to other race. And then obese people, so BMI only like a 0.5 difference, but if you're obese, you tend to have uncontrolled hypertension. And I do not have overall numbers because still like you know, those numbers I'm getting from a different like a cohort. So kind of like a patchwork result, but hopefully by the time of the publication, I'd like to clean up our cohort and then getting those numbers clearly. And other comorbid conditions as a nephrologist. So I was interested in CKD chronic kidney disease. And then here I'm talking about advanced CKD and excluding endostage renal disease at first. So those people CKD stage four or higher. So those people tend to have higher rate of uncontrolled blood pressure. And then this is not a strike. This is not a surprise to me because I struggle to manage those people blood pressure in the clinic or approaching regular dialysis. In coronary artery disease, yes. I have a, a point I'd like to just suggest that there's an old saw that when you have very, very large databases as, as you have with the uh, VA thing, that every result is either highly significant or irrelevant, and sometimes both. Uh, and the, the point I would make is that the p-values here look as though this is all very big, but when you look at the individual differences, they're very small. And so what you want in a large data set is to emphasize the differences, not the p-values, because the p-values, that's because you've got trillions of patients. Yes. Thank you for the yeah, important point. And so actually that's, I'm going to like, you know, all the ratio, oh no, actually relative risk of those uh, individual covariates. And then I also like, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm just dealing with the large data set or not. So I will talk a little bit like, you know, in the next slide too, but thank you for pointing out. 
and then coronary artery disease, I'm gonna come back and then those people are gonna having a more control of blood pressure. And then this reminds me, reminds me the fact the cardiologist might be pushing more hard to control or prescribing more medication to control blood pressure compared to other specialties. And then people atrial fibrillation, so they tend to have more controlled people compared to uncontrolled. And then same thing happening in the chronic lung disease. And then sleep apnea, a little bit like, you know, I had a surprise here. I'm surprised by the sleep apnea. So if you're, if you're having a sleep apnea, you tend to have more controlled compared to uncontrolled. Then frailty score, if you're more frail, so you might have a controlled blood pressure. And then this might be confounded because of a malnutrition or end of life type condition. And then blood pressure is usually from a hypertension to going down to hypotension. So those frail people might have a controlled blood pressure because of those medical sickness or critical condition. Then we went into the reconstruct a model to predict relative risk for the uncontrolled hypertension. And clearly, like, you know, in the age, we can see those response curve from uh, elderly folks having uncontrolled hypertension. And this tells me older age is a risk factor for the uncontrolled blood pressure. And then black race, this is 1.08 and significant and then risk factor. So this is fitting in the clinical practice. Sometimes not easy to control blood pressure in the black people and then even like, you know, essential hypertension. And then obese people also having hypertension and then other risk factors. And then, so this is Dr. Sackett pointed out the amount of, uh, uh, the relative risk is not large. So we might be just picking up uh, those small change because of a large data set. So that's going to be uh, one of the limitations in our analysis. However, advanced CKD, that's behaving as a risk factors and then stroke people behaving as a risk factors. But the coronary artery disease seems you know, protective. So that sounds more people getting a blood pressure medication or medications lowering blood pressure in those situations, like in a heart attack or prior revascularization or any atrial fibrillation and then seeing a cardiology or a cardiologist on a regular basis. And then probably chronic lung disease, that's also like uh, listed as a protective, that's my guess is those people are sick and then those people are not having hypertension and rather having a normal blood pressure, like a normal tensor because of the medical condition. And then sleep apnea, this might be because of the intervention. So we are prescribing more, like you know, CPAP or offering a treatment for those people. So maybe we are creating a confounding bias in those like in a retrospective study. And then frailty score is protective. And then this is my guess because people getting frail and then getting older, and then they tend to have a, like a low blood pressure that's driving a controlled blood pressure in this.
analysis. Okay. So, but uh, at least, like, you know, this retrospective study, we can point out older age, black race, and obesity going to be a risk factors. And then CKD, chronic kidney disease, and also prior history of stroke were associated with increased risk of uncontrolled hypertension. And then flip flop, and then maybe these people are going to be uh, listed as uncontrolled hypertension based on new updated guidelines. So maybe we can screen those people more and then try to intensify those people, uh, intensify their blood pressure control in those high risk population. And then when we were analyzing those data and then 60% of current veterans are older than 60 year old. So clearly like a VA population getting older and then we had a question so the VA DOD guideline did, did recommend like you know, less than 130 cutoff for the systolic target blood pressure, but uh, they put it in additional information like you know, case by case, and then definitely like, you know, less than 150, but we don't need to push too hard if patient having a side effect or if patient cannot tolerate yeah, those medications or pharmacotherapy. However, ACC and AHA, they recommended a, like an intensive treatment based on the SPRINT trial. So we had a question, we are dealing with the elderly folks within the VA healthcare system. And if we use intensive treatment, are we helping the patient or not? So that was my additional question. So we, put it in, in the clinical research question number three. So intensive blood pressure target, such as screen trial, like a systolic blood pressure less than 120, is this beneficial among the US veterans, especially 60%, like a three, two third of a patient are elderly folks. So, we excluded a patient average systolic blood pressure less than 100 because we are seeing some of the people getting frail and then getting older and then blood pressure below 100 without any medication or with the medication. So we excluded those people to minimize any you know, kind of JCAB effect from uh, systolic blood pressure. And then we average blood pressure control less than one. 20, which is actually going to be between 100 and 119. And then we created another group, 120 and 129. So we target and then greater than 130 group. And we use survival analysis in this model. So we did a Cox regression analysis and blood pressure control. So we try to estimate effect of systolic blood pressure control on the all cause mortality in this model. And also we'd like to see any interaction between age and blood pressure control effect. So we check interaction too. So in the cohort, I do not have an individual group data yet, but in the total death event, about like, you know, 14% died during the follow-up period. And we did the adjusted hazard ratio of uh, systolic blood pressure control on the all-cause mortality. And then 
less than 120, hazard ratio was 1.3, which means like the highest mortality risk compared to blood pressure control. Average systolic blood pressure greater than 130 or equal. And then in between 120 and 129, we saw like an you know, adjusted hazard ratio 1.0, almost like the you know, same, but a slightly like a you know, higher risk. So we thought if we try to intensify blood pressure control, we are seeing a negative effect, which is contradicting to like a sprint trial and also even like you know, a post hoc analysis of elderly patient in the sprint data. But uh, these data are almost like you know, replicate from CKD patient population and intensive, medic, uh, intensive blood pressure control having an adverse event including a higher mortality rate or higher amount of uh, end-stage renal progression. So this could be having a confounded result, but uh, next slide, I check like an you know, interaction between age and then systolic blood pressure and then clearly, so this slide is telling me, so on your x-axis, those are age group, and y-axis, we laid out uh, mortality risk. And reference going to be uh, age less than 40 young folks. And it, when you're getting older, the mortality risk is going up higher, which means there is an interaction. So if you're getting older, if you intensify blood pressure control, or if you achieve average blood pressure control below 120 might have a higher mortality effect. That's kind of like, you know, those intense relationship we can see here. So retrospective study, but uh, this is real world data and then large VHA data set. So intensive blood pressure control, so targeting between 100 and 120 associated with highest, like, you know, higher mortality risk among older veterans. And then, especially, you know, in the older veterans having a more, like, a negative, negative effect of intensive blood pressure control in the older folks, because, those effect is increasing over like an you know, older population. So, so these data have some implication for the blood pressure management in the clinical practice. We might try to intensify blood pressure control, and then we might having a, we might create a harm for or like an adverse event in the, especially like an older folks. Or this is just like, you know, retrospective study, which is a large data set, but still we can see maybe like, you know, noise and then confounded by unmeasured covariates. And especially we try to adjust like, you know, smoking status, but smoking status is not well captured in the VHA data set and also socioeconomic status or educational 
vacant level, which we are not including in our model here. So those like, you know, unmeasured or unused covariates might play a role in then creating a confounding bias. So that's like a you know, limitation of our analysis. And I'm gonna stop here. And then I'd like to thank uh, University of Iowa Kidney Cardiovascular Disease Group and then Dr. Jal PR and Dr. Sarazin. Jason and Ben and Minakshi and Dr. Saket Jirotra too. So, right. Any other any question? Masa, that was very very nice. Um, I'd like to actually have two or three comments and questions. Um, the first, if you could go back to the slide that shows the the, the relative um, risk for different blood pressure controls, the less than 120, 120 one to 130 and yeah so uh the next next slide forward oh no one one slide back the one that had yeah no right there actually go back to the slide you were on you were on the right side so i don't know how many people you had in the less than 120 group but if your hypothesis is true and you have enough numbers less than 120 you could do one 100 to one one 110 and 119 to 120. And if you show a quantitative increase, that would confirm your hypothesis. And it would be even stronger argument that um, there is a quantitatively increasing mortality risk as you lower blood pressure below 120. Yes, that's a good point. Thank you. So the, yeah, and you know, the other comments are, um, you have chosen to focus on the VADOD group um, definition, but not the ACC AHA definition. Depending on where you publish it, the reviewers might ask, why is it relevant to look at that definition if the rest of the world believes in the ACC AHA definition? So you may want to be prepared for that comment and also look at um, isolated systolic, isolated diastolic by ACC um, uh, definition. And you could also, you know, extend your analysis to see whether, you know, each of these um, covariates that have an impact on um, systolic blood pressure have an impact on isolated diastolic blood pressure or the combination. I think it's be descriptive and analytic and will only I think substantially um, increase uh, the, the take home message of this beyond the veteran population to the general population too. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good point. Now we are dealing with the VA data set and then my practice based on the VA. So we focus more on the VA DOD data set. I mean the updated guideline because that directly like, you know, helping me to determine if I need to push like you know antihypertensive drug or not or intensify blood pressure control in front of me in the renal clinic. And then I'm seeing like you know age 76, 82 or some like you know 90s. So that's a that's a part of the reason we focus on the BADOD recommendation. But you are right, like the generalizability, yes. I, I do have a, a question or a comment. I'm not quite sure which it is. And that is that the um, finding that um, in uh, decreasing the blood pressure in the elderly um, 
appears at least empirically to increase the risk, that there's a real problem here of confounding, which you've done your best to control for, but uh, I, it's hard for me to escape the suggestion that the people with the lowest blood pressure may also be the people who have the highest um, uh, frailty. Uh, and it would be very interesting to look at the question about the impact of blood pressure reduction, not on the blood, on the uh, elderly, what do you want to call it, the age category, but rather uh, as people get more frail. So my instinct is that I would be very hesitant to push blood pressure lowering on a frail person who's... Uh, systolic blood pressure now is 125 and say that it ought to be less than 120. Uh, it seems to me that this just has the scent here and I, I have to look at your data more. I know you've corrected from frailty, but it's just, it, it is a strong suspicion that you've got a confounding issue here that the mortality goes up when frailty goes up. And if in fact, um, lowering the blood pressure and people who are already frail makes them even more frail, you know, that may be part of the problem. And so it might be nice to dissect out whether the problem that you have is with frailty or whether it is with age. Obviously those two are correlated. Yeah, actually, Dr. Hansker, yeah, thank you for the point, like pointing out. So actually I was, I was, so we try to test like you know frailty and then like an effect of like you know frailty on the blood pressure control and like you know mortality risk and then actually like you know that will affect blood pressure control and then usually like you know more frail like a poor uh, blood pressure control but it did not affect much in the final model in the Cox regression. So I step back and then I decided like, you know, not just putting uh, so much like uh, emphasis on the frailty in this like, you know, study at this time. And I was like, you know, distracted by clinical duty during the process. And then I was unable to like, you know, clean up well in terms of like, you know, frailty scoring system, you know, which we used, we, we, we used in, we just like, you know, adopted a former method by Dr. Sarazin, who like, you know, created a coding for the cardiovascular disease patient, and mainly like, you know, TAVA patient. So we just copy and paste her frailty score like, you know, coding and then put it in my like, you know, calculation. But uh, I'm, I'm still like, you know, we are kind of like, you know, debating we should like, uh, change frailty score system or try to pick a different frailty scoring method or like, you know, try to find out a better way to define how frail patient is and then hoping like, you know, we can stratify those people. We should not put the, any emphasis on the blood pressure control. So yes, actually we went through that route and then which didn't give me like, you know, any significant like, you know, signals so I, I, be, I, I became quiet, yeah, in terms of a frailty score. But uh, I, I feel like, you know, in the clinic, if patient doesn't look robust or if patient appears like, you know, frail, I do not try to push any, like, you know, blood pressure pills. So I feel like, you know, that's correlating with the clinical practice. And then 
pretty much like you know, confounded, I feel so. But uh, yeah, I, I couldn't prove it in our model. So that's why I did not put it in like you know, much. You, you have a, uh, a classic situation where um, you have two things that are likely to be fairly correlated, age and frailty. And unfortunately, the, the fact that you said that the uh, interaction effect with frailty sort of didn't turn out to be um, significant can be very misleading because it's all being tracked on the uh, on the age thing instead. You know, you're you're it's hard to know what um, which factor is really carrying that. And so uh, certainly it is the case that age uh, is itself generates frailty. Um, it's hard to imagine that frailty generates age, but uh, you know you have a problem of sorting of keeping these things out and it may be just even though the, the uh, coefficient was not, quote, significant, which is, you know, um, it might be wor worth looking at it just simply empirically. If you do look at it, does this look suddenly to be a pretty impressive thing that when you have frail people, you don't want to push the blood pressure down? I mean, your, your instinct, which I think is a good clinical instinct, is certainly the same as mine. Uh, we might be wrong, but it's worth trusting your instinct that there may actually be a problem that particularly with their people. Yes, we will look into again. So we try to present, we will present this at the ASN Kini Week this fall. So hopefully before that time, like, you know, we will have a better idea and then try to tease out but, more the frailty score. One of the, Use, one of the most useful things of presenting at something like the ASN is that you can find out what kind of flack you're going to get when you submit the paper for uh, publication. And so it'd be very interesting and informative to see what they, what the people's response is. Yes. But it's, okay. it's, a, it's an important issue. And I, I restate one thing I just said. It is entirely possible that my instincts are quite wrong. Nonetheless, I have those instincts and they seem to correlate with your instincts that you don't want to push the blood pressure down in frail people. And I would suspect that most doctors have that sense. Uh, where there is that much sort of intuitive consensus, you don't want to throw that particular datum out. Yes, and then actually those instincts or like, you know, the, our belief Kind of like you know, put me like you know, resistant to adhere ACCHA joint guideline recommendation, which is pretty like you know, intensify blood pressure control, even like you know, in the elderly folks. And then as a nephrologist, we are seeing more like an you know, AKI episode and then readmission or admission to the hospital. So, so that's we try to like you know interpret in the clinical setting. So that's we try to put it in like you know foundation for the future trial or future study, or if this is all good, we might just like, you know, put it in effort to how to implement those clinical guidelines or recommendations. So, and then one thing before like uh, running out of my time and uh, so 
there is a study from a uh, uh, post hoc analysis of uh, intensive blood like a sprint trial, and they realize which patient are getting uh, more like an adverse events or adverse effect from uh, intensifying blood pressure control. And they actually smoking population, so which is small number of patient because some of the patient are you know, going through like, you know, smoking cessation and not smokes at the time of uh, study enrollment. But uh, there was a hazard ratio like you know, up to 10 I mean, like, you know, very broad confidence interval because of the number of like, you know, N number of patient is so small. But so, so my instinct when I interpret the result and also analyzing and then try to prepare the publication. So I think I'm not adjusting enough like Dr. Hansker mentioned and pointed out. So I think we need to peel off how to like, you know, adjust like, you know, those um, major confoundings. And then, so that's, I'm struggling to, and then try to, hopefully like, you know, we can find out how to adjust when I, when I deal with the uh, retrospective data or like an you know, observed observational study data. So, right. And we're gonna Victor, stop here. Oh yeah. Oh, Maria. Hi. Um, you mentioned this just really briefly about the implementation side and I've been pretty interested in hypertension for the last year and especially about high rates of uncontrolled or untreated hypertension. Um, is there any role for like community physician involvement? Because in my position at Great River, I think that'd be a great population to include um, uh, non-academic kind of outreach. So is there any talk of that? I know this data set is specifically through the VA, but maybe through the cardiovascular group as a whole. Uh, I can't, <laughs> that's my, they can all, Maybe like a, one of my niche, try to find out like, you know, where to put it in myself. And then yes, implementation science is going to be uh, another horizon in the future of science. So I'm interested in too, and then you're right. And then like a people seeing a patient and taking care of those people as a frontline and then hopefully they like, can you know, yeah, actually, we do not have anything at this moment. And then Dr. Jalal working with Dr. Geisinger. She's one of like, you know, implementation science specialists here at the University of Iowa, IOCDBA. So I think Dr. Jalal's like, you know, hope is try to getting a, like, you know, funding or mechanism to create or cultivate, like, you know, strong, like a research group to implement like, you know, those studies or like, you know, implement those guideline recommendation. And then, sorry, Maria, I'm not answering your question. We do not have any mechanistics at this moment. Yeah, we don't, yeah. But uh, hopefully like, you know, I don't know, next five years or 10 years. <laughs> All right, well, think of me in the future if, um, <laughs> if there's an opportunity. Yes, yes, definitely, I think so, yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Masaki. No, thank you for yeah staying with me. I appreciate it. And then I think the Dr. Flair putting a comment yeah in the chat box, and I will 
yeah, learning from his comment too. So, all right, thank you. Thanks, Marcel. Thank you.